Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And today, it's the show where we're going to talk about bicycle activism through a cluster B lens. And I want to introduce to you a friend of the show, member and blogger himself. Um, He has a spot on Substack called Green Leap Forward. Green, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Josh, for having me on. So you and I have been talking for a while, uh, mainly online. I think this is the first time we've heard each other's voices. Uh, We have been talking about the problems of, well, what you call, what you have taken to calling, cluster (laughs) bike activism, (laughs) which I absolutely love. And... You know, we find this in every, today in our era. We find this in every situation where there's an activist group, um, but but specifically groups that that are act- activisting, if you will, on issues that are considered left of center. Um, so it could be veganism, it could be um, feminism, it could be trans, uh, and apparently. Um, modes of transportation and numbers of wheels are now partisan concerns. They're not just things that people do. Um, they are partisan. So um, what I'd like to do is lay out for everybody kind of the lay of the land when it comes to the conflict between motorists, those who are driving, and bicyclists. And I do want to be fair on both sides of this, and I think this is where you're going to be really valuable because there are problems and bad behaviors. Um, What we're talking about is there are increasing clashes, uh, sometimes actual crashes, but increasing um, conflicts and clashes between motorists, bicyclists, particularly those who consider themselves or uh, bicycling activists, and the city and and municipal governments that stand in the middle of this and are charged to adjudicate it and to make decisions about how roads are going to be set up, uh, whether there will be bike lanes, all that sort of stuff. Um, So I would like to ask you to please give us a synopsis from your point of view as a bicyclist um, writing about what you write about. Lay, Lay the land out for us generally, please. Oh, boy. Let's get... This could get pretty long, but um, no, in general, I mean, you could talk about the U.S., you could talk about other countries, but, you know, the U.S., um, I wouldn't say necessarily we, but, you know, society has largely moved on to motoring, motor vehicles as people's primary use of transportation. Um, Bicycling was never a big thing here. It was, uh, you know, kind of at the end of the I guess it's the 1800s, early 1900s caught on for a little bit, but then pretty much died off and has largely been a very niche activity since then. Um, the kind of, I guess you could say there's kind of two groups of people who, who bike on the roads. There are probably the people who can't afford to do it. I'm sorry, who can't afford to drive a car, who maybe don't have a driver's license, maybe big immigrants of some sort. Um, you know, a lot of times they end up on the sidewalk anyways. They don't necessarily know the rules of the road either. And then you have a lot of recreational riders like myself. And, and I also ride to work. I ride for transportation too. I mean, I own a car, but 
And then you have this activist type who, um, from what I understand, kind of really got their start in the 70s during the environmental movement. They're anti-car, anti-sprawl, anti-capitalist. I mean, your typical kind of left progressive wanting to change the world. And um, I mean, I'll be blunt. I don't think they give two craps about actual cycling safety. They just think that the bicycle is their form of social change. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't believe they care about I don't think they care about uh, safety or civics or other people one bit. Well, and there's um, so there's, you know, there's a handful of really, really, I guess, good bicycling advocates out there. And one of them has kind of split this dichotomy into the safety, the safety activists and the participation activists and the safety activists, which I think I would identify myself as as somebody who you know, says, look, if you want to go out and ride a bike, this is how to do it safely. This is how to prevent crashes. This is the most common ways you get in trouble. And the sad thing is um, a lot of bike crashes are the result of the bicyclist's fault. Um, actually, a lot of them are just solo crashes. They have nothing to do with a car. Interesting. They have something to do with um, poor riding skill, mechanical, you know, the bike is in poor mechanical condition. They get a flat. And, um, and yeah, the ones that are the result of getting hit by a car, which granted is the probably easiest way to get injured or killed from one. It's something like about half of those are the fault of the bicyclist, another half of those are the fault of the motorist. And uh, most common way to get clobbered by a car is in a turning and crossing conflict. So having a motorist turn in front of you, having one just basically not see you. And a lot of that is from either being on a sidewalk, um, a lot of these bike lanes actually exasperate those, those types of crashes especially these ones that they're marketing as protected. Ooh, ooh, that is a provocative, are, provocative name because they are absolutely engineered to kill. And there's a term for those, manufactured conflicts, because the most common place to get clobbered by a car is either the driveway or an intersection. And a so-called protected bike lane does not do the duty of protecting, in most cases, at either of those locations. And one of the things they do now in cities is they're trying to add a separate bicycle only phase traffic lights. Yes, yes. And I can tell you uh, the stereotype is very correct. A lot of bicyclists run red lights. Yes, they do. Um, there is, a, I think, largely a stupid argument that it's a safety argument. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you pull up to a red light and there's literally nobody around and you go, yes, you're breaking the law, but right doing it right whatever but (laughs) but they've literally argued because they've taken the the i guess the fact that one of the most common places to get hit is at an intersection and they've taken that and decided well when i get it to an intersection i have to get out of it as quickly as possible and that is the part of the justification for rolling red lights and for not obeying stop signs and Mm -hmm. like i said nobody's around you can get away with it but (laughs) right Hey, you know what? Before we get before we get too deep into this, let me ask you. Tell us, tell us how you got interested in this enough to start writing about it as a as an area of topic interest to you. How did that happen? Well, it's been about a ten year kind of endeavor. I was involved in and out of different bicycling advocacy groups in California, and I mean, there's one really really good one out there called Cabo. They're probably the most. They're probably the only like about legitimate bicycle organization left in the country, but even they've got their limitations. And part of it is um, everybody just falls for this this woke crap. 
I mean, and that's what about 10, 15 years ago, this stuff really started to infiltrate bicycling advocacy and it turned less into a preserving the rights to use the road slash safety thing and more of this kind of very big ideological bent. So you kind of watched that transformation happen in your area? I watched it happen in the groups. I warned that it was happening. Nobody listened to me. (laughs) (laughs) The organizations got captured and one of them is facing significant financial problems at the moment. Um, But, and yeah, I mean, they went from, and the League of American Bicyclists are kind of the big national organization. They had kind of the same thing happen. I want to say around 2012, they basically had people come in and take over the board and kind of turned into less into a membership for individual cyclists and more of a lobbying group. And that's kind of how a lot of these, if you just pretty much any local bicycle coalition is like this nowadays. You know, you get very little. A lot of it is people that are city planners or that are public health people. And it's it's an industrial complex is really what it is. It's interesting to me. I, I, I don't know. It seems so. I mean, it seems obvious now, but actually, when I think about it, it's not obvious why bicycling of all possible human endeavors, recreational or exercise related things, why this would have become a target of, uh, well, frankly, the abuse of deranged left. Um, like <laughs> why? Why riding a bicycle? Right. You know, I remember the day when I was eight years old that I got my first bicycle. It was a Royce Union. I don't even know if that that brand for kids lives anymore. Um, but it was a gorgeous red bicycle with red metallic paint. A nice curved bike with the lines of a 50s car. You know the kind of bike I'm talking about. Um, oh, definitely. And I remember my stepfather uh, putting the training wheels on and uh, riding up and down the street with the training wheels until he told me, you know, it was it, now we're going to learn how to really do it. And I didn't think I could do it. Uh, I had no idea. I had no idea how you balanced on a, a point fulcrum, right? <laughs> like, it's like, how, how is that possible? This doesn't, this doesn't work with my physics. And he ran alongside me, had his hand on the back of the bike and he started to right the bike so that it was no longer being supported by the training wheels. And Actually, he did. He did this in just the right way. Uh, he kept running along aside me. But what I didn't know is that he'd taken his hand off the bike. Uh, so I was actually riding the bike. And then he, he comes along. He's like, hey, you're doing it. And I looked down and I was like, I'm flying. It was wonderful. It was a great day. That's why I remember <laughs> it. Right. Um, but I have no idea how something so apolitical became as political as it is. Do you have a any insight into that? I think a big part of it came from the environmental movement in the 70s. You know, it was a lot of countercultural. It was sprawl is bad. Cars are bad. Capitalism is bad. And it was a revolt to, a revolt to that. And a lot of the, I guess, the old guard that is still in the, what ironically are the ones that were kind of getting pushed out, the old straight white males, Mm -hmm. A lot of the ones that were kind of the big, you know, vocal people for this in the 70s and 80s. And um, and yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of the movements and and the right has has these people, too. But the left has this, you know, big authoritarian thing going in it right now. Let's control how other people live and public health. The disgraceful field of public health. Yeah, absolutely. Morally (laughs) disgraceful. Got into it and 
and you know, look here, I'll give the devils their due. They're they're not wrong about um, you know, in the US there's roughly forty thousand people per year killed some 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 way, you know, on the public rights away. Usually yep. usually in a car, but it's about eight or nine hundred a year on bicycles, um, pedestrians. I mean mm-hmm. I think if I'm remembering correctly, it's something like 112 or 115,000 people a year that are dying of drug overdoses. So mm-hmm. a few hundred thousand people a year dying of cancer. So, you know, if you were to look at, at I guess you're going to call them car accidents, which they hate that word accident, but <laughs> related related things that, you know, it's it's pretty high up there. So, you know, the desire to lower these numbers is, I do think, is coming from a good place. I think another thing too, at least in public health, you know, they assert that we're an obesity crisis. You know, a lot of people in the U.S. are used to say out of shape, unhealthy, and you know, bicycling is an activity that gets you some exercise, and and that, that's one of the reasons I like it. I like being able to kind of go places, and you know, you're kind of getting a free gym trip in at the same time. But, yeah. And again, people have different. And, and that's something a lot of the activists don't understand is they, they kind of think they're very religious in this sense where they think, well, if people just see bicycling the way I see it, they will fall in love with it. And I know a lot of people don't see that. They don't see the way I see it. They don't see the way that they see it. Like they might just want to drive to the gym. They might want to go do something else. They might want to, you know, have other ways of getting their exercise if that's what they want to do. So, you know, but, um, I'll go for it. Well, you know, I, I, I I want to be fair about this issue, so I'm I'm going to say a couple of things. First thing I'm going to say is I'm going to lay out how it looks to me, and I'd like your reaction. I'd like to know whether your experience comports with this or not. Um, how it looks to me in terms of the bad behavior from both bicyclists and motorists, because I have been both a bicyclist and a motorist, and it 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 astonishes me I, and i see this not just in biking uh, biking uh, <laughs> biking versus cars i see it i see it in people it it is a, you can watch this happen you can you can literally put your eyes on this in a parking lot and see it happen somebody drives into a grocery store parking lot so that person in that moment is a motorist he is driving a car he pulls into his parking space as soon as he exits his car, it appears that he completely forgets that one second ago he was a motorist because he starts acting like a pedestrian who won't look before he crosses, who takes his right of way in the parking lot without checking to see if anyone is coming. It It, it, it is as if people immediately forget that they've been on both sides of this thing. And I see it all over the place. About 10 years ago, I I bought a bike. I decided that I was going to bike the couple of miles uh, back and forth to work for the reasons that you cited. I needed more exercise. I thought, hey, why not? I'm not going to have to dedicate, you know, 20 bespoke minutes at the gym. I'm going to do this on the bike. Uh, It'll be good for me. I'll get the fresh air. I won't do it anymore um, because of because of what my experience was. Now, I live in Burlington, Vermont, and I realize it's going to be different in different areas. But um, on the motorist side, and I think this I think this points to a the fact that we are not for better or worse, for better or worse, it's just the way it is. We are not a society that is set up for bicycling on our roadways. And so therefore, we don't have a culture 
of motorists and bicyclists understanding how to interact with each other. And it's very easy to see. I see this every day now, but I saw it every day when I was on a bike too. It drives me nuts. And this is the fault of motorists and they are making it dangerous. When you are driving down a two lane road and there's somebody in the shoulder who's on a bicycle, obviously, yes, you need to and you want to give them enough leeway. You want to give them several feet um, so that you're not endangering them. That is not what happens here, Green. The motorists here, every single bloody one of them, I I swear to God, I am I deliberately don't do this and I watch and I count. I am the only motorist in the line of cars who does not do this. They all swerve all the way over the double yellow into the oncoming traffic lane giving a birth of up to 20 feet from the cyclists. Have you seen this? Oh, I have. Okay, <laughs> that that is, ex first of all, I'm gonna swear here, cover yours, everybody. That's fucking stupid. There's no reason for that, none at all. That safety does not require that. In fact, that is creating a really fraught situation. I have seen people very nearly have had on automotive collisions because of this behavior. It is creating an extraordinarily dangerous situation. So my first question to motorists would be, what is going on in your mind? Illustrate your thought process for me. What has convinced you that what you're doing is necessary and safe when you are actually driving into danger? What do you think about the screen? I think a big part of that is a lot of motorists, and I think a lot of bicyclists do this too, just don't have very good conception of how fast other people are going. So bicyclists are, you know, generally need to be very slow, and a lot of them are. I mean, they're not moving at four miles per hour, but they might be moving at- 10 or uh, 12. 10 or 12, you know, if they're not trying. And on a flat surface, you know, even somebody with halfway decent fitness skills knows how to use their gears can, yep. can push 20. Sure. But, um, you know, when you're in a car, you know, modern cars, they have great acceleration, great deceleration, they're quiet. You know, a minivan nowadays is more powerful than a muscle car in the 70s. So I, I think, and, and the greatest way I can, you know, defend motorists is that you just kind of don't know that you're going that fast. You don't know that the cyclist is necessarily going that slow. And, um, but yeah, why, why, why do they, no, but, See, but not I've about speed. Why do they do that? <laughs> why, why do they I think know, I, I have to swerve all the way into oncoming traffic and be 20 feet away from that bicyclist? I don't do that. I give them about three and a half feet. I don't swerve out of my lane. I, it's perfectly safe. Why do people think they need to do that? I mean, part of it could be, and a lot of this is, well, ironically, Kind of my circle of bicycling advocacy actually does kind of suggest that you try to give a full lane when you can when you can i mean when it's okay. safe and legal to <laughs> now the onus is also this gets very very controversial in cycling but you know and, and granted the default place for a lot of cyclists is kind of on the shoulder and in the edge i'm a little different i'm a person who does ride out in the lane okay but i ride with a mirror and i guarantee you i'm spotting you pretty early on and most of the time I'm able to move over and, you know, the, the most inconveniences that cause to the drivers, they've had to slow down a little bit. Yep. And they're usually more than willing to, you know, if they can't change lanes to pass, they can't change lanes to pass. In most places they can't, you know, because like you said, they got the double yellow line. But I tell you what, I would rather be passed 
at that three feet with that driver going, you know, a tad bit faster than me and not, you know, completely zooming by with that wind blast. And I mean, I've done this all over the country and most people are more than willing to comply. I think part of it is they see that I've kind of acknowledged them. They see that they know that I'm there or they know that I know they're there and that I'm willing to cooperate. Right. Let me but, be, uh, let me be clear. Of, let yeah. me be clear about why, why I don't give them a full lane. I live in an area where that is not physically possible. There are no roads here that allow I that. Agree. Yeah. None. I it's agree. not physically possible. So I'm not doing it. I'm not not taking care. I'm not thinking to myself, I want to intimidate the cyclist. I'm thinking to myself, this is a two lane road. This is New England. I cannot and will not veer into oncoming traffic. That no, so you're doing the right I'm not I'm not trying to be a jerk to the bicyclist. No, and unfortunately, there's just enough of them that that think that 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 is as far as they're concerned that is excuse me vehicular assault or whatever and and yeah and I think a lot of it you know I think a lot of these activists as you've probably seen from from Burlington I've seen it here and a little bit in California is that a lot of them moved from and I don't mean any offense to people from big cities. But, you know, things are a very different pace in big cities. You have your New Yorks, your Bostons, your Chicago's, your Los Angeles, your San Francisco's. And when you move out into the countryside, you know what? It's an entirely different pace of life. Everything's a little bit slower. It, you know, I have family from the Midwest, from the Mountain West. And when we talk about getting stuck behind a, a slow moving driver, you know, we're kind of like, well, it's usually like a fellow farmer or it's a mail truck or something. It's yeah. just like, you know, you and but that that patience doesn't doesn't exist as much in the city. No, no, it doesn't. I think they're getting a lot of that kind of culture coming to, you know, the places like the Burlington's. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, those two lane roads, you know, those are roads that were probably plotted out long before there were cars. They're, they're, yeah, they are yeah, very little. Shoulders. Our roads are quite <laughs> literally the horse trails. That's yeah. that's why our roads look the way they do. These are where horses and carts went. Um, and they're likely oversaturated with more people than, I mean, Vermont has what, yes. 600,000 people. I think it's number 49, Wyoming's number 50. Yep. And the advantage that Wyoming has is it's, you know, like the entire size of New England. Yeah, <laughs> right. Vermont is <laughs> this small state that can fit in. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm speaking from the Western U.S. where. Yeah, no, it's small. Big, but yeah. <laughs> it's the size of a county out here. And, you know, you have two or three two or three medium, medium sized cities. And that's I it. Vermont is a tourist Mecca. <laughs> yep. So, and yeah, it's, and, and, and you can't do anything about roads like that because who's going to sell the right of way to expand the road. And I'm sure everybody local does not want to see that, you know, these little, no, it's not, it's not even road. possible because the houses, are, yeah. the houses are all there. I mean, you would literally have to obliterate a neighborhood. Um, yeah. to alter yeah. the footprint of the roads. Now, on the other side of this, we're, and we're going to take a break in a minute, but I, I want to sort of set something up so that we can talk about it when when we come back. You said earlier uh, when we started the show today um, about the bicyclists who who simply um, run red lights, and you, you also mentioned the so-called protected bike lanes. Um, I, I, I have the quintessential example of this and it um it happened to me last week but it's happened to me many many times in the past in downtown burlington they have just begun putting in these so-called protected bike lanes now uh, this is audio so i'm going to try to paint a clear picture for people who are listening imagine that you are on a 
um, imagine that you are on a three lane road. Um, you have car traffic coming in two directions. The third lane is only on one side of the road. It's a right-hand turn lane. So you are traveling toward a light. On your right is a right-hand turn lane, and on your left is the opposing traffic. So that's all the space there is. What the city has done is take out that right-hand turn lane that approaches the four-way signaled intersection and replaced it with what they call a protected bike lane which means you, the car, may not enter that space. But now again, visualize this. Listeners, please imagine this in your minds. You are driving forward, but you need to take a right onto Main Street. But directly to your right, where there used to be a right-hand turn lane, is a bike-only lane where they have the right of way. So you go to turn right, but the person in the lane to the right of you the bicyclist is going straight. Do you, and everyone can imagine there's a crash coming there, right? So I'm turning right, but he's going straight. We are going to collide with each other. This is actually engineered and set up to make this happen. There's no other way that it can happen, right? You don't, no one would ever install opposing motor traffic lanes. That would never happen, right? So last week, and I, and I have to be very, very careful and very alert when I'm driving downtown. Um, and I I saw this guy on a bike. I predicted what was going to happen, and he did exactly what I knew he was going to do. Um, I cautiously came up. I put on my turn signal to take that right turn. I could see this guy in my rearview mirror. I could see that he was coming up fast. And he was, I'm sorry, but he was the stereotype. Um, fit, muscly. Brand, everything he was wearing was brand new. It looked like it had come right off the shelf. Body-hugging Lycra, gleaming polished helmet. Um, that that look on his face like, I'm a Chad. You know what I mean? Um, and he's pumping. He's going like 25 miles an hour with that <laughs> sort of orientation. And he did it deliberately. He deliberately cut right in front of me. He came within, I would estimate, six inches of my car that was turning right, and he took, he just took the red light, took that chance, and it's not the first time it's happened. I, I get called cynical, but I'm sorry, I have to insist. I think this behavior is deliberate. I really do. I think there's something going on egotistically for people like this, where they are willing to risk their very life in order to behave this way. Um, and we're going to come up on a break. And when we come back, I'm going to let I'm going to shut up and let Green respond to that. So stick around. Looking for a non woke place to put your money where your mouth is, put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access.
Okay, we're back. So I took us into the break talking about that story of the conflicting uh, protected bike lane. Green, what say you? The, um, ironically, the person that you're talking about gets stereotyped as what they call a mammal, a middle-aged male in Lycra. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of describes, you know, in, in one way, a stereotype of the average club cyclist, that is the person that rides in the Lycra, um, the cliche of, oh, you're not Lance Armstrong is every time I hear it, I think, and you think you're so clever when you say it, but you don't realize that it's the most cliche thing to ever tell a bicyclist. But yeah, I, I would say with one thing with those types of people, you, you've got time, I think you've got two groups. You've got that definitely that male, you know, men t- t- typically tend to take higher risks, yep. tend to be a little bit more on the daredevil side, which is why you see more of them in an activity like cycling or any of these activities, for example. And I can tell you from being in bike clubs, those people are the most stubborn people. They are actually worse than the vast majority of motorists to convince on bicycling safety because those types of people think they know everything because they, they conflate their athletic ability with their supposed traffic skills ability. So on the other hand, though, the activist types have a very similar mentality. And part of that comes from that like, kind of that moral superiority of I'm on a bike, not in a car. Yep. And they have this, just like the woke have this thing, the set, the set up with race and how they have, how they set up with sex. Like motorists are the oppressors. If you're on a car, you are an oppressor. That's how they, that's how that ideology, yes. you, you know, views you. Oh, tell, tell, yeah, every, tell everybody about the difference in nomenclature. It's very telling how they style themselves and how they style uh, motorists. Oh, so, well, the funny thing is the mammal, the mammal thing, the middle-aged male in Lycra, like that's actually a slur that they use too. Um, so it's a slur that you hear from, sometimes you hear from non-bicyclists, but it's also kind of a slur that you hear from them to name off of people like me, which I don't think I'm quite middle-aged yet, but I guess I am male, but, um, and I do wear the Lycra a lot because it actually does, it's actually very comfortable for longer distance cycling, but um yeah, so the language change, and this isn't just in the bicycling community, this is kind of in, I guess, the, the greater alternative transportation <laughs> mecca. So these are the people that are, you know, want, want trains everywhere and hate, suburb, hate suburbs. And, yeah. you know, bicycle, the bicycling activacy is a lot, you know, very much ingrained in this. But first of all, for the word accident, they hate that word. Is they, they have gone to the point to where they've convinced the Associated Press just like with the capitalizing the black mm-hmm. and not capitalizing other races, like they've gone to the point where, and I don't think the AP has completely dropped from using the word, but they will. The, the argument is, the argument, they're, they're basically the argument is, is whenever there's, and I actually don't mind using the word collision or crash because there are some things that are not accidents. Like sure. an accident implies that there's no intention on either part. Like I like to use the example of like a child peeing their pants. Like you call it an accident because the child didn't have. And usually, when a child does that, they haven't, you know, acquired the skills to control their bladder or to tell their, you know, parents they have to go. Like a little bit of that, you know, a lot of that is out of their control and that kind of thing. And and car accidents are a lot of times the same way. Sometimes you hit a, you know, you hit a patch of ice. Um, you have a mechanical problem. Like it is not always. The way they try to frame every quote unquote collision crash, whatever, is that generally it's always the motorist to fault. It's always the motorist who was going too fast. It's always the motorist who was not 
not watching appropriately. And I'm like, you know, sure enough, obviously these people have never had a deer dart out in front of them driving on a country road, like in Vermont, where literally you cannot do anything because regardless of whether you're going 12 miles an hour or 50, you know, a deer hops out in front of you, a person hops out in front of you without looking like there's only so much you can do. But so yeah, they detest that word accident because to them it implies that it is letting the motorist who is basically the oppressor the oppressor right yep off the hook uh, but and they also have different they also have I different mean, names though don't they uh for what how they refer to motorists and how they refer to bicyclists yes you tell, tell us tell us that difference with um go to any of these activists you know any of these bicycle coalitions and you'll see it but it is always with you know because they're not they, they, they want bicycling, they want bicycling to be, you know, kind of the end all be all, but they also tend to like walking places, which I mean, who can blame them? You know, they want these walkable, they basically want every neighborhood to look like the, the old town, downtown area in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. They want, or what they see when they go to Europe or what they see when they go to Vail and they see they can walk right. around, you know, this little Potemkin village of, of urbanism mm -hmm. and they want every place to be like this, which is just like, I, I guess that's, that's kind of nice if, you know, you don't want to haul a couch somewhere, you know, for that kind of urban lifestyle. But um, so, you know, the other the other kind of group of people they have are people that are walking, uh, using transit. And so they don't use bicyclists. They hate the word cyclist <laughs> even more than bicyclist. So those are called people who bicycle or people who ride. Oh, or... person first language. Yes, this is first and first language, and it's the same with walking. It's people walking, and now that at least in Southern and California, people who use people wheelchairs. Walking. Yes, people who use wheelchairs, people who are rolling, like to, <laughs> or to roller uh, skaters, and people on scooters. And, uh, but and are are we are we people who drive cars, or are we something else? No, no, you're you're drivers, <laughs> and that's another thing they get wrong. Another thing they get wrong is that a driver actually can refer to multiple things. A driver is really more of an operator of a vehicle. And in most cases, a bicyclist is actually also a driver. Like legally, they're a driver. Yep. A bicycle is actually a vehicle. Now, it's not a motor vehicle. And that's what gets a lot of people stuck up as they, you know, get into the whole license, insurance, registration thing. Well, all of those are applicable to drivers of motor vehicles or to the motor vehicles. So it's a... <laughs> But part of their thing is they basically view bicyclists as wheeled pedestrians, which is why they think they can they can justify things like what you're describing with that so-called protected bike lane in Burlington, which that, by the way, that crash that you're talking about, where a bicyclist goes straight and a motorist or a driver, in this case, turns right in front of them, that crash is so common that it has a name. And that crash is not just common in bicycling, it's also common in motorcycling. They call that a right hook. Okay, it is so. And that is one of the most common ways to be hit by a car. Like that's it, of course it is at least a quarter of your of your cases. Here's what I don't understand, Green. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and 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 I'm cynical. I I I have already long ago, years ago, accepted uh, that people who want power and want to wield power will do things that will actually hurt other people and pretend they're not doing it. I, I already accept the venality and the immorality of, of some of these people, but I am yet shocked that our city actually set that up. That is, frankly, it's almost 
I'm almost willing to say that the city should be prosecuted for doing that because they're begging. They're, they are facilitating and begging for a fatality with that. And they will get it. They, I guarantee you they will get it. Um, Why? And, and Why are they doing this? In New York City, they have even in the noble enlightened land of, of cycling utopia, the Netherlands, they have those crashes. Portland is what I call the right hook capital of the country because Portland has mandatory bike lane use laws and they, Oregon is the only state in the country. This is another thing that um, most people do not know about how to turn across bike lanes. A bike lane is, as far as I know, in every state is a type of preferential use lane, sort of like a carpool lane, yeah, sort of like a bus lane. And the you know, only thing is, yes, it's for exclusive use of bicyclists and it's narrower than every other lane. One of the things that you're supposed to do, and each state is a little bit different, but in California, it's up to 200 feet before your turn. You're actually supposed to toss your turn signal on, yield to anybody in the bike lane, and you're actually supposed to merge into the bike lane and turn from the bike lane, if you can. Now, what I'm saying, if you can, every standard passenger car can do that. Um, a large pickup truck, probably not. They probably have to swing up to make the turn. Trucks cannot do that. As you know, everybody probably sees when they're behind a semi truck, they see that caution makes wide right turns. Yes. That is another killer of bicyclists. It's, it's a right hook, it's the same collision. But that is another killer of bicyclists. Well, and yeah. on the bicycling side, like what they say in all, well, in any education program that's worth its salt is, and this isn't just in cycling, this isn't driving in general, you don't pass other vehicles on the right. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, but um, uh, people who bicycle do it all the time. In fact, I, you know, it's not, you know, we're talking uh, about, you know, the fact that men, for example, take greater physical risks than they do. That 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 uh, behavior that I described to you of taking the red light is a very male typical um, beha behavior. However, there is a female typical version that I see here. Um, that I, I'm guessing might be something that that people in the audience may recognize from their experience, uh, especially if they live in a woke area like this. Uh, the women usually won't do anything that dramatically risky, but they, they will, well, they'll do it passive aggressive. So what they do, and I saw this a couple of weeks ago, downtown Burlington, um, woman on a bike, um, and again, she's got all her gear on. Middle-aged woman. Okay, I'll paint a picture. You know Terry Gross from NPR? That was her. Uh, tiny little, <laughs> tiny little bird. Short, hard, angry gray hair. Um, angry glasses. Um, and uh, just a whole. And I, I realize it sounds. You know, people can accuse me of of making this up because I want it to be true. Perhaps you're right. But I swear to God, you could just tell by the way she the expression on her face and the way she was holding herself that she was very, very proud of herself. And what she was doing was she was refusing to use the bike lane that this street just got repaved and it just got repainted. Not only does it have a dedicated bike lane, it's a really big one. It's almost half the size of a car lane, bigger than we usually see here. She would not use it. She insisted on getting in front of the cars in the full travel lane and she had a she had a beaming smile on her face and she was looking around at people and you cannot convince me that she was not pulling this passive aggressively. Um, I think she looked to be delighting in the fact that she had the power to 
take the car lane, even when she had a bike lane, and force everyone to go 12 miles an hour. I see a lot of that behavior from women cyclists. So I've never seen anything particular like that, especially from a women cyclist, but I have seen where, like I was talking about those right hook collisions, a lot of the really high profile right hook collisions have been, and it could just be a pure coincidence, but have been women have been passing. And, you know, like I said, they don't, they don't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And right. part of the whole, part of the whole appeal of the bicycle lane is this is, you know, quote unquote, my space to ride in cars are supposed to stay out of it. And that's another thing they, that's another reason they want the quote unquote protection is, is people get all upset about, you know, because the edge of the road has been since roads existed, it has been used for loading and unloading and parking of goods. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the fact, you know, the bike lane is the actually pretty new thing. And in a lot of these cities, and I'm very sympathetic to the people that, you know, bought these properties, paid all their property taxes over all these years, expected that that piece of granted it is public right of way in front of their house but expected that to be a parking space and then here you go they're repurposing it for the exclusive use of bicyclists and nobody else can you know can be in there and right. and even if sometimes there is them, makes things difficult for mail carriers and and you know can you live in burlington what what fills up in the wintertime snow <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the first that's the first place it goes. And you just you taught me something a few minutes ago that I didn't know. And it's it's disturbing that I didn't know this. I think it points to another breakdown in our civic communication. You just taught me that the legal and appropriate thing to do when taking that right turn is to is for the automobile to merge into the bike lane. I thought that yeah. was illegal. And, and a lot of people and and do no one in part because of the bike lane exclusivity thing. And a lot of bicyclists, they want they actually want motorists. They don't want motorists to enter like that. I, I know. I, I, I know. I, I know they don't. <laughs> I have sometimes had to make that split second decision where I decide between do I do what I think the law requires or do what I do? Do I do what I think will keep both of us safe right now so we don't die? Um, and I will often so I will not get into the bike lane because frankly i'm afraid of two things happening one um and these are not these are not misplaced fears they're reasonable the first thing i fear is that a cyclist who is not paying attention it is not monitoring his speed in relation to me will crash into me because he won't expect me to be there because he thinks I, I, it's illegal for me to be there too. Or number two, that I'm gonna actually get into a, a fist fight confrontation because these people can get really fucking aggressive. Oh, they totally can, yeah. So how are we to, you know, it, it's, I, it ties into, I have this complaint about road rules too. You know that, you read my blog, you, you listen to the show. Um, you know that I'm constantly talking about the decline in the following of road rules, and it's declined to the point where we have entire generation of drivers who literally don't know road rules. They don't actually know that there is a protocol at four-way intersections, for example. They literally ignorant, innocently ignorant. Um, there is no public education about this at all. There are no PSAs. There are no, like, these are the sorts of things that when I was young, and, and growing up and learning to drive and learning to go out into the world, you absorb this stuff by osmosis because it was general knowledge. Your parents knew it. The people next door knew it. You might hear a PSA on the radio about it. There's nothing like that. If I, who 
you know, I think of myself as an observant person who pays close attention to what's going on in the world. I had no idea. I was wrong. I thought it was illegal for me to merge into that lane. If I don't know this, how is anyone, how does anyone know this? There's no communication of this message to the public. Well, no, you're completely right. And, and bicycling in the U.S. has been basically viewed as a children's activity slash fringe activity, which is largely true, you know, since at least the 1950s, because that was when, you know, mass motoring, I mean, mass yeah. motoring took off in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, but the Eisenhower the interstate really system really, really took it off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of where the bike advocates, I think part of it is their revolt of that whole period of prosperity. But um, another part of it is they look at Europe and Europe did not. Well, first of all, most European cities are way older than American cities. And, you know, like, well, I guess, you know, Burlington is an old city. It was there before there were cars. So yes. Obviously, probably are some post-World War II subdivisions or whatever. But you come out to the to the West. And I mean, everything in Phoenix, almost everything in L.A., everything in San Diego, except for the, you know, the core original parts, basically all built around automobile travel yes so, <laughs> so and in europe it wasn't like that in europe um automobiles have always been more expensive they've always been less practical travel distances have always been shorter they've always had a greater spending on public transportation mm -hmm. um you know climate's one thing in certain places but anyways we're not europe but um <laughs> no exactly you know what i, I was I wanted to go back to yeah go, go back on, mm -hmm. you were talking about malpractice was something about malpractice with the city of burlington Unfortunately, this is a secret about engineers, especially government engineers, is as long as they can say they followed standards, they get out of it. I believe it. And it is extremely difficult. Granted, each state's probably a little different. It is extremely difficult to sue the government over defective road design. And as far as I'm concerned, the protected bike lane thing, like, yeah, every engineer who signs off on that stuff should be in prison. And the other one that I have is putting bike lanes right next to parked cars. They call that the door zone. No yeah. other vehicle operator is expected to ride in that area. And a bike lane, when you realize a bike lane is just like any other lane, like that is basically instructions from the owner of the road saying, this is where you should ride. Yes. So, and they are, they are all that here, all of them, because yeah. there's, there's oh, parking yeah. on all of our streets. And it's because it's a compact city. And I mean, I, I'm going to probably doubt that this lady was intentionally trying to avoid the door zone to piss everybody off but i i don't well maybe she maybe she was use... maybe she was trying to and avoid if... getting doored maybe she was but i will i will slowly pull over and try to let people i'm not going to try to because it is not the fault of the people who happen to be behind me at the time that the freaking door zone bike lane is there and, and i understand like i don't like to be honked at um but i understand that if I understand why people are frustrated. Like, looks like there's a bike lane right there. Why aren't they using it? And I mean, I'll say there are there are good reasons for it. But yeah. I, I okay. Know, you've described this lady. It does not sound like she's. You know, because that's the thing. When you're on a bicycle, you are a slow moving. You're a slow moving vehicle driver. Like you are still. Yes, you have the right to be out there. Yes, people shouldn't hit you. That kind of thing. And it's actually very rare to be hit from behind. Like, incredibly rare. But at the same time, you know, you have to realize you're also a slow moving vehicle operator. And depending on the state, um, most states actually don't have a rule specifically saying that non-motorized vehicles, quote unquote, impede traffic. But others do, like California. If you're on a two lane road and you get five or more vehicles stuck behind you, you have to look for a place to pull over and let them by. Mm -hmm. 
and in my mind if you got five people behind you you probably already pissed off enough people so it's <laughs> right um but we're gonna pick it back up so stick around for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum. This is a show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this is part two of our conversation with the blogger behind Green Leap Forward on Substack. I highly recommend his blog, uh, and we're calling him Green here. And what we're talking about is is bicycle activism and uh, its discontents. And uh, bicycling, sadly, has become another um, area that has been culturally and politically colonized or infiltrated by hard left activism. Um, and it's part of a, a dynamic that has pit motorists against bicyclists um, uh, in a really unfortunate way. And um, I think I want to, I th think what I would like to hear you discourse on green is something I suspect we're not going to be able to do. Um, because what I'm going to ask you is what, what are the things that we can do to better educate both motorists and bicyclists about reasonable behavior, courteous behavior, safe, safe rules. Um, what can we do to lower the temperature? Because I'll, I'll admit it right now, my orientation to bicyclists is adversarial. That doesn't mean I'm trying to hurt them. I'm trying to avoid a crash. But when I see them, yeah, I'm, I'm angry. Um, I don't like their behavior. Um, I don't like their arrogance. And I don't like the fact that they're allowed to behave dangerously in a way that if they caused an accident, it is almost certain that I would be prosecuted for it, even if it were their fault. Same thing for any motorist in my area. That's that's real. That's how it's going. Um, so I want to sort of ask you what we can do about that. But the 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 more cynical or realistic part of me thinks that this that this conflict is just another symptom of our larger civic decline. And unless we change our values and the way we live our lives, that this would just be putting out a fire that would pop up somewhere else. So that's what I think about it. What do you think about this? I think I share most of your frustrations. I mean, and I say this both driving and bicycling, that it's like I actually have less less issues with motorists when I'm cycling. But then again, I mean, the way that I do things is is not only very safe, but it is intended to reduce conflict as much as possible. Because yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't think most motorists are out there to kill anybody, but I don't also don't want people pissed off and something that is, yeah, it could, is and has been used against other people mm -hmm. also in cars, you know, as virtual weapons. So yes. 
you know, as the, as the trope goes, you know, in the battle between the car and the bike, it's the car that wins. So it's, and, and a lot of this is, yeah, I mean, bicyclists absolutely have to be more responsible. And part of it is, as far as I'm concerned, getting this ideology out of the movement, which I don't think is going to happen, but I think because it's already such a small movement anyways, but, but this idea that like, there's a, you know, there, I mean, there is, there is sort of a hierarchy on the road, especially physics wise, especially just numbers wise, but, you know, legally there really isn't and morally, I don't think there really is either. It's at the end of the day should be about people trying to get to where they want to go. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't care. Another thing that the bike advocates love, love to do, and I hear, I hear, I guess you call anti-bike activists doing this too, you know, being like, well, what's up with these people going somewhere? They're not going anywhere. They're just out, out recreation or whatever. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if somebody goes out and drives their car around the block for pleasure or if they're going somewhere and, you know, bicycling right. is the same. Right? I mean, course. as long as... And this is like with the climate protests, like I don't care if you're protesting on the side of the road, but the moment you start blocking people from going places, like it's a whole nother thing. And, you know, bicyclists do have to realize if you are riding in a large group, um, a big misconception actually with group riding mm -hmm. is the whole thing about single file because that actually makes it more difficult to pass in many cases because the line is longer. Okay. However, I would also say that, you know, if you're going to be riding in a big enough group and you know that your activity is going <laughs> to going to affect the, you know, other traffic users, that might be the time to ask for, you know, a parade permit or a similar thing. Like when they dedicated bike races, you know, they, mm -hmm. they do the, the rolling road closures and stuff like that. I mean, granted, your average Saturday morning ride is not going to be able to do that, but I, I do think those large groups seem to be very, very conscientious of what they're doing. And um, we've had, um, I haven't written about this, and I, I don't think I will, but last week in San Francisco, which as far as I'm concerned, I've written off, which I'm sure a lot of the audience has, but uh, the, um, oh, what is it? The San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. Yep. It's the other really large suspension bridge in the area, not the Golden Gate Bridge. Yep. But it famously... And, and this is pretty typical for limited access. Uh, these bridges are what are called limited access roads. That's what your interstate highways are. That's what your expressways are. Like they are explicitly designed for high-speed motor traffic. So you're not allowed to use a. You're typically not allowed to use a bicycle on them. You're not allowed to drive your horse and carriage. You know the Amish aren't allowed to use them, kind of thing. Pedestrians can't and use. You them. Generally, can't take your Ford Model T on there either, or your electric bike or whatever. Right. And. You know, those roads tend to be redundant to other existing roads in the area. So it's not like they are actually restricting one's access. They might be faster, but anyways, the story with the Golden Gate Bridge, or not the Golden Gate Bridge, the, the Bay Bridge is that it does not have, it doesn't have a dedicated sidewalk on it to walk across. Granted, it would be a long walk, but and it doesn't have, uh, you know, a way for bicyclists to get across. And it's been a contentious issue with some of the advocacy there for a while. Now, what they do have as an alternative is you can take BART or you can take a ferry mm -hmm. and it takes longer. But uh, for those for those who don't know and don't speak Californian, BART means uh, light rail, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It means robbery target. Yeah, it's their <laughs> subway system. OK, Area <laughs> <laughs> rapid transit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. We had to get rid of the get rid of the. Um, but anyways, no, I mean, there's, there is, 
it's not quite like New York City where you can you can ride your bike on the on the Brooklyn Bridge, for example. Right. And you know some of those bridges I know going in and out of New York, you know you can't can't bike on those either. But you can usually use the subway or public transit or something. So it's not like they've completely removed your right to travel between the two cities. But anyways, last week a you know one of these critical mass type groups and on their Twitter profile, their their original post was "fuck cars." <laughs> and they went and they completely took over the bridge, one of the decks of the bridge, kind of delegating motorists to basically just driving in one of the lanes. And, and I'll be blunt, I'm sure they pissed everybody off. And, it's pissing me off just thinking about it. You've made an and, enemy out of me. Anybody who does that, I'm now your enemy. I'm going to work well, against you. You probably read my piece on, on principal bicycling. This is maybe about five or six months old where... This was in San Diego. There was a temporary maintenance closure one weekend of one of the freeways. And so the the Department of Transportation decided to turn it into a, and it was a really cool event. I didn't go to it, but I saw pictures of it, where this portion of the freeway they had closed off was um, was open to bicyclists, roller skaters, people, you know, on the walk, mm-hmm. walk, and kind of turned into this just kind of a community event. And, you know, the activists kind of turned this into, well, this is what we need to do all the time. We need to take back the freeways. And <laughs> this one post was about um, a group that was riding down to, you know, riding on the regular roads down to the freeway. And they got mad at this woman who merged into, she didn't realize the freeway entrance was closed. She was getting on the freeway like she probably always has for her whole life. Mm-hmm. And basically gets swarmed by all these bicyclists who are upset that she's on this closed lane. And it just that's that's I think that might have been where no, it was Stacy was where I got the name, the label cluster bike activist. And she is this I also wrote about her on the on the blog. She is this newly minted activist who used to drive around in this Mercedes and Instagram or film or whatever while she was driving, which is arguably a very dangerous thing. And she became a spike activist and her video is famous all over the internet now because uh, I think it was an ambulance. Oh yes, tell tell that story, yes. <laughs> so yeah, anyways, this Stacy lady, um, she's all big in the, in the San Francisco advocacy world now. And I mean, this is your cluster your typical what I'm calling cluster bike activist. You've got the kind of that borderline behavior. You've got the histrionics. Mm-hmm. You've got the narcissism. And this lady, and this is very common among the people that want protection, whenever they see somebody blocking their way, which granted to their credit is generally illegal. You're not supposed to you know, block and load and unload. But yep. instead of you know, simply just going about your day and going around, they freak out about it. And they also insist that like one skill by any bicyclist needs to have is the ability to, to to change lanes, to be able to signal, to be able to look back, to, be able to interact with drivers, or or to just temporarily stop and yep. look for a gap in the road. Like it's just very basic. It's just basic driving skills. Yep. But you know, this lady didn't want to do it. She instead had to make a big deal, and she takes this video, and she's like sobbing in this video about how her life is in danger. Because the ambulance and the ambulance is like responding to a call. So it's yeah, like yeah. Just... J- just just for everybody who may not have seen this video, 
um, what you see is an ambulance has pulled over to the curb on the side of the road and apparently uh, by doing so has blocked the bike lane. We, uh, it was not clear to me watching the video why they pulled over, but I'm assuming that, you know, they, they may have had, you know, an emergency call and they needed to, to get out of it. And, and she, this lady went, it's one of the most histrionic meltdowns I've ever seen. I mean, she was <laughs> screaming and crying and didn't she, what did she say? You're killing us, you're killing us? Yes, you're killing us, you're killing us, yeah. Because of this whole- This, this stationary house. ambulance was killing her. I mean- I, Yeah, it's just- <laughs> So do you see, you know, there's a reason, obviously, there's a reason you started calling this or referring to it, you know, at least sometimes as cluster bike activism. It's a play on, <laughs> it's a play on cluster B, obviously. Um, but what, are, what for, you know, from your perch, um, what, what do you see? Do you see what it does look to me, but I'm not inside it the way you are. It does look to me like there is a that that bicycle advocacy has been taken over preferentially by people with narcissistic and cluster B type orientations to the world, just the way most other hard left activism things have been taken over. Do you agree or disagree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It's almost such a carbon copy that I, that I want to doubt it because it seems like it's too good to be true. <laughs> but, but I mean, but then when you look into the, you look into any of these people and you look into their other politics they are usually the urbanist yes in my backyard yimby types they're they're they went oh they went absolutely hysteric during trump and then you know you were just you mentioned a couple times you know left-leaning left-leaning and i never traditionally viewed cycling as a left versus right neither did i, I until I recently i grew up in a red state and i knew people that did it and one of my big kind of wake-up moments aside from getting kind of balls deep in the advocacy in coastal California was um, I used to participate in these Facebook groups and they still exist. And there was one where this guy wrote this really, really elaborate essay on like why bicycling can be appealing to conservatives. And it was a lot, you know, it was largely about individuality is about like not depending on the system. It was about being frugal and, and thrifty. Mm -hmm. And you know, it had nothing to do with, and I think this was in like 2017 or 2018. And so this was, you know, Trump derangement syndrome in its full force. And the guy got ratioed off the freaking Facebook group because all people could think about was how bad conservatives were for this and this and that, and Trump this and Trump that, and like would not even engage his argument. And that's not, is like, so they and didn't. They a, didn't you know, even want. Libertarians like me that like to do it too. Like Ron Paul is. Well, I don't think he is anymore. He's up there in age. Guys, avid bicyclist and Gary Johnson. If you can count him, yeah. libertarian. You know, so it's not. And but, that's part of the appeal of it for me. I like the independence of it. It actually, I like the independence of a car too. But sure, like I like it in like the idea of being able to go somewhere on your own power. And I've you know toured, toured around the country on it. I've gone different places and. And, you know, it's something you got the time to do and you, you know, you have the physical ability and want to do it. You know, that's one thing. But well, you know, it the whole it seems to me that culturally, how do how do I frame this? It wasn't until I don't know, 
the sometime within the past 10 years that it even occurred to me to think of riding a bicycle as a thing. And what do I mean by a thing? Well, <laughs> when when I was growing up, if you had a bike, sometimes you got on your bike and went to the store. Sometimes you went out, yeah. you went to your best friend's house on your bike. Sometimes you guys went to the movies. Sometimes your mom went to the corner store on a bike. Sometimes you took the car. It was it wasn't it was not an identity or a brand exactly. name. Every person had the capability of driving their car, or taking their bike. It was not an identity, but it is an identity today. It's a brand yeah, name. Exactly. It is a partisan branded identity. It's it. You know, and frankly, I think any I don't care where you are in the political spectrum very far right, very far left, somewhere in the middle. I think any civically aware, reasonable person anywhere on the political spectrum ought to kind of resent this. It's it's as if something oh, totally. something was taken out of our common experience as citizens with each other and made into an area of contention just to do it. Well, and that's what they're trying to do with, with motorists too. They're trying to turn motorists into this I've never heard them explicitly. Well, they try to do this with pickup truck drivers and and you know work. I mean, because you know a lot of this from the from the from the woke left is an attack on the working class, you know. And but um, you know they're trying to paint, which is the stupidest thing ever. Trying to paint, you know, the vast majority of people in the United States drive a car, you know, when they're when they're willing and able. And I can't think of any 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 majority group to try to piss off. But that's what they're trying to do. And they're, you know, they're alienating everybody across the political spectrum. Like driving a car has no no political identity to it. You know, leftists do it, conservatives do it, anarchists do it, whatever. And the fact that they're trying to paint, you know, I mean they're trying to paint them as an enemy of the planet, trying to paint them as an enemy of Well, and I'm you know, I'm afraid they may be doing more than try. I think they're having some success. Oh, totally. You get these Oh, I don't remember her name in New York City and Transportation Alternatives and all those organizations that are either New York, Washington, Boulder or San Francisco based trying to drive a lot of this. And the whole climate crisis narrative, you know, is just full idiot, you know, full just nonsense right now. Did you see <laughs> did you see our episode a couple weeks ago on the Sunday night show, the, the one called Environmental? Oh, it was the best one ever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, it reminds me of that gentleman who uh, we showed a video clip of him testifying to the city council. I think he was an Irishman. He had a, a, a pretty um, difficult to parse accent. Um, I do remember that. And he yes. started right out. I think he's the he's the poster boy for what we're talking about. I'm going to imitate him here. Uh, I'm sorry, Irish people. I don't do it very well, but, um, you know, you're going to get caricatured. Here you go. Um, I have no oil, no gas in my house. No, I ride bike in winter, even to St. Mike's College. I do, no, 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 no. I do not own car. No, no, no. I mean, that's how he started out. He started out um, giving his bona fides as an anti-oil, anti-automobile, you know, look at the good I do. Look at the sacrifices I make. I won't. I sacrifice. I pay the higher rate for electric heat because I love you. You know, I mean, it's just so it we wouldn't have. I don't know. It's. But that's the narcissism. That's I mean, part why I call it cluster bike, because no, that what that guy is doing is, is normal for that type of person. Like it's always this 
you know, it's just like the, oh, as a, as a queer black woman kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's always <laughs> this identity stuff first. And, and it's not just with the bicycle. It's, you know, a lot of environmentalists are like that. They're like, you know, as a Tesla driver, as a Prius driver, like, <laughs> there's a reason. And I actually really like Priuses now. They don't look so darn ugly. And I think they're great vehicle but there's a reason south park made fun of them so relentlessly i know and and i i feel the pain because i am in fact a prius owner and i i do not get angry at people well actually no i don't get angry at them because i understand uh they have no idea they have no idea but i know that i'm driving around a symbol that is provocative uh to the guys here in vermont who are uh driving diesel trucks and i i know it's provocative because i can tell by the way they I, I haven't been menaced, but yeah, they do go out of their way to cut me off for sure. Um, and so I, underst- I understand why they're doing do it, right? Here too. Um, but I actually bought the car simply because, I mean, I mean I'm incredibly, uh, I'm a frugal Yankee. I didn't buy the car because it was kind to the earth. I bought the car because it had a demonstrated reliable record. I'm the kind of guy who will drive a car two or 300,000 miles for 20 years. Um, if, if it's still a good financial deal, and that's what I plan to do with this car. It's ugly. It's not sexy. It doesn't have a lot of power. It's no car that I would drive for fun, but it's a really, really good value for the money. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I drive the, um, I guess what you could call probably the state vehicle of Vermont, which is a Subaru. The Subaru, yeah, you know, same they're thing. They're very similar. They're nothing nothing special, but they're very reliable cars. Um, in the ass change the spark plugs in but very capable yeah and that timing cars. belt yeah. bullshit too at about a hundred thousand miles but we'll leave that alone yeah <laughs> but uh so no, i mean they're great cars but then unfortunately they come they do come with their stereotype yeah and and we're all you know we're all being boxed into these stereotypes and identities uh more and more and more i i it's it's frustrating that you know, you said a few minutes ago um, you were talking about 2017, 2018 being Trump derangement syndrome and in, in, you know, in full flower. And and again, of course, my perspective is is from where I sit here in Vermont may look different to you. But. My friend, I honestly, I think I detect. That it's even worse in some areas than it was when he was president. I think Trump derangement syndrome is actually worse where I live than when he was in office. I don't feel like we've moved away from it at all. I feel like the ratchet is tightening. Oh, totally is. California, absolutely. I mean, the the primary reason when I was trying to convince people to um, vote for, and, and granted, a, a Republican in California is the most benign republican you can think of because mm-hmm. they're so boxed in in that state it's like a democrat in wyoming or right. montana like, like no they can't well okay there are no there's some i had to say the democrats in wyoming have changed their tune because that's where you're having that crazy trans incident with the university right now that is a that is that trans person sorry i'm going to go off topic here that's okay that person who got into the sorority at the university of wyoming is an activist for that state's Democratic Party. <laughs> mm. A well-known activist that for that party. Yep. That is what a large part of that is. I think you know what I'm talking about. You've talked about it before. Megan Kelly covered it. Oh, yes, yes. There are so many incidents they, they blur together at this point. Yes, so this is at, and I'm, I'm saying this being familiar with that state, 
um, only one university in the whole state. So only one place to have fraternities or sororities. That's right. Yep. And that happens to be in Laramie, Wyoming, which is where Matthew Shepard went to school. Uh, yeah, a whole nother can of worms that people believe nonsense about. Which so. I got, I got a hard time for. I had I put a little comment in that last piece on principal bicycling about poking fun because uh, um, people for bikes they're they're this industry lobbying organization that they're again are using the people thing. People but for they call themselves like, people for bikes. All these companies and their whole thing is to sell more bikes, which fair enough, but. Part of their spiel is they have a very um, politically active arm that's trying to get things like these so-called protected bike lanes and these, you know, the paths and the parks, which are, you know, a whole nother, whole nother thing. Like, those are kind of out of the realm of the type of advocacy I'm interested in. But, um, you know, anyways, people think they're like this kind of noble group, you know, in the interests of bicyclists. So it's like, no, they're just an industry spearhead. But anyways, their um, president... They're, they're originally out of Boulder, Colorado, which um, oh, Boulder is like Burlington. You see an organization out of these two cities. Yep. It's a red flag. Yeah, that is literally red. <laughs> yes, like in the communist sense. Anyways, and I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, almost can guarantee you that this lady was probably a lockdown and COVID hysteric. Oh, for sure. Boulder locked down like crazy to be expected. Where does this lady go? She goes to Laramie, Wyoming with an SUV hauling an Airstream trailer to escape the lockdowns. <laughs> so and that, and the, the reason that came up was I made a little, I made a little, a little, um, little stab at um, people primarily on the coasts who are not familiar with Wyoming who bought into the narrative that Matthew Shepard one was killed because he was gay, um, which a lot of people in Wyoming, I think, believe that too. But, yeah. but um, two, the second thing was that Wyoming was this super oppressive, homophobic shithole. Right. I'll, I'll be slightly doxed myself a little. I'm actually from there. I remember when that happened. Okay. I don't know a single person who was not like disgusted at that, that, that murder. Yep. And, and it was not, it was not that he, he was not yes, murdered because probably. he was gay. That's not true. No, there was, um, the number one, one of the killers, you know, was kind of found out labor to kind of, I don't know if he was ever came out as gay or not, but apparently he dabbled around and yeah, it was a drug. It was a drug thing. Yeah, it was drugs. And, 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 and apparently, you know, one of the killers was at, at some point in some way sexually involved with Matthew. Yes. That's what I've understood too. Yeah. You know, I, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and, and uh, for listeners out there, if you, if, if this is a surprise to you hearing this, um, you know, uh, don't feel bad. I believed this up until a few years ago. Um, and I would have kept believing it if I were still the same stubborn leftist that I used to be, because there were people, um, trying to counter that and say, hey, it sounds a little more complicated, but people like me, back when I was one of these people, we wouldn't listen. It was like, no, you're just trying to cover up for homophobia. Uh, but, but you know, that this, this thing that unfortunately has entered into the history books, it has received wisdom now that this was one of the most gruesome and grotesque targeted murders of a gay young man never happened that way. It had nothing to do with it. It's not true. It's no more true than the Jussie Smollett story. 
Yeah, well, I mean, at least Chelsea Spallett, that was completely fabricated. Yeah, that was, I mean, it's not, no, I don't mean to say that Matthew <laughs> Shepard, you know, fabricated his own murder, obviously, but, uh, or to justify it in any way, but it's not, you know, it's it's not actually what it, what it has come to symbolize for people. Well, and I'll bring this back into bicycling advocacy is that I think part of the thing that people, you know, don't want to admit that it wasn't specifically because he was gay, I think that they think that that takes away from, you know, their whole movement. And I'm like, you know, by no means, no, like, like, it's still not appropriate to kill a person regardless. Like. Right. <laughs> but 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 you know what, dude, though, it does take away from their movement. It, it really does. Um, and I, I because I'm afraid that the movement does not have the motivations that are as um, glossy and pure as it would like us to believe. They people who insist on holding on to these narratives, they need their persecutor. They need the boogeyman. That's true. Right. Um, so it's yeah i guess i'm i'm just going to be characteristically candid they don't give a fuck they don't no, care they, don't. they never cared it was never true none of the tears were real they don't actually have a hole in their heart pining to help vulnerable gay people the only thing they care about is that this perception of conflict continues so that they can continue to get their narcissistic ego supply yep and i think that is a big part of the bike movement i think that like I was saying, I think so, I think a lot of these people have a genuine concern about trying to make the roads a safer place. They mm -hmm. just, I mean, the approach is absolutely horrible. But, um, but at the same time, like when somebody gets killed in one of these right hook collisions, and there's people like me, and there's people like, I don't know, probably two or three dozen other, you know, bicycling interested people across the country that goes, hey, you know, this is a conflict type that's been known for decades. Yeah. That you know, when they tried to install. One of the things, like, so Davis is kind of known as, like, the bicycling capital of the U.S., and it was the place where the first bike lane supposedly went in. And yeah, this is also the first city in America that banned smoking out on public streets. Not surprising. <laughs> but um, what they did, the first bike lanes they had there in, like, the late 60s and early 70s, and yeah, Davis is between San Francisco and Sacramento. It was the agricultural school for the University of California system, and when the UCs expanded, they kind of, they really put a bunch of money into that. That was what was basically a glorified community college. And now it's you know, a major part of that system. But okay. anyways, their chancellor at the time was big on, and I think this was even before the environmental movement got big, but he was big on trying to get as many people to bike to campus as possible and wanted to turn Davis into a like European style cycling town. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they did was they started putting up these special bike lanes that were, and they weren't calling them protected back then. Like they were under the idea that like, no, you have to separate the two modes they are incompatible. There's enough traffic that it's, you know, probably justifiable. And um, what happened? They had all these crashes because of all these, these manufactured conflicts. So they actually tore a lot of them out. Davis still has a ton of bike stuff, but, and they went more towards kind of your traditional, you know, bike lane on the shoulder and doors on bike lanes. And they did a lot of what they're calling um, like slow streets where they try to route, they try to have signs to encourage bicyclists to go through, you know, neighborhoods instead of out on major, major okay. roads. You know, they do that in a lot of cities. Is that, and it, that, is that a good really idea, like. do you think? I, I mean, part of it is, one of the things that I, get, I gripe with is somebody will complain about me being on a road and I'm like, well, look, this is the road that's going to where I need to go. You know, and they go, well, why don't you take a quieter road? And I'm like, I, you know, I'd love to, but 
this is where I'm going. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta, so, you gotta get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you get like so. A lot of the cities in the front range of Colorado are on a grid, right? So they can be pretty easy to find an alternative route. But like out in California, like out in Orange County, Los Angeles, you know, those entire areas of the city that are built on grids like that, those gridded streets are the only, you know, the arterials, or sometimes they call them strodes, I guess. But okay. They are the only way to get a reasonable distance across those cities because sure. all the stuff inside those blocks are all either like covenant controlled housing developments or, you know, split up by railroad tracks. Like, so it's, you know, a lot of the, a lot of this has to do with the layouts of the cities, you know, just like in, in Vermont, like you're talking about a lot of roads that are. Yeah. There's, there's you know, nothing like a grid anywhere in, anywhere in metropolitan yeah, Burlington. Grids there. Yeah. <laughs> but no, grid, grids, grids are great where they, where they work because a lot right. of times, yes, you can, you can take a parallel street and, you know, there's less traffic and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's it it, it when I think about uh, again bicycling, what do you, you know, what we used to think about it, what we think about it today. And of course, my perspective now is is you know, I'm just a motorist. I I don't want to get on a bike um, because of the way motorists and bicyclists clash, and because there are no shared standards, and I I'm much more likely to get hurt on a bike now today. Uh, in that atmosphere. So I'm I'm team motorist now. It doesn't mean I'm against people. Um, to, I'd, I'd like I'd like not to have to do that. I'd like to enjoy my bike again, but I don't live in a place where that's possible. Um, but I'll tell you that I'll tell you that people who use bikes who I either don't notice because they're not causing a problem or when I notice them, I think to myself, this is how it used to be. You know who doesn't bother me, who I'm not scared of? It's just normal teenage kids on bikes who are not wearing helmets. Just the kids, the kids who <laughs> ride bikes the way I used to ride bikes. They go to the store. They're going to their best friends' houses. Yeah, yeah. They do ride up on the sidewalk. Yeah, they weave in and out of parked cars. And you know what? I, they're not as dangerous. I don't fear them. I don't fear that they're going to either try to I don't fear that they're going to try to make some sort of visual statement by how they ride that will endanger the flow of traffic. So, yeah, sometimes they're absolutely irresponsible and they dart out in front of a car like all kids do. And they're being jerks when they do that. But honestly, these kids are much less dangerous than some of these adults. At least it seems that way to me. So there's a difference between a kid doing that and an adult doing that. An adult should know better, you know, and that's sort of antisocial, like. What are what are the what are the pillars of cluster B? You have you have histrionic, borderline, antisocial, and narcissism, right? Yep. Like that antisocial thing goes right there. That inability to, and and I mean, motoring can be antisocial too. And part For sure. of it is, yes, you're behind a glass and steel metal cage, and like we can be making almost all these comments about motoring without even involving bicycling. Like, yep. Now, and I'm not driving on these roads. It, you know, yes, it can be a bicyclist that's irritating, but it's usually not. It's usually motorists who either don't know how to drive, forgot how to drive, or just plain old don't care. And I, I talk about the them all the time. The advantage of being on a bike, Josh, and I call, I call it, you're able to humanize yourself. Yeah. You're able to show that there's, there's actually a person there. And, you know, you can wave, they can see your face, like they can see you're smiling. And it makes a huge difference for other people to see. And, and I have to tell this to you know, and the bicycling activists do like to do like to say that there are, sometimes there are people behind the wheel, but 
Um, they also commonly forget it and demonize them, but it's like they need to know that too. They need to know that like that is like yes, you're vulnerable. Yes, you're um, you know yeah, you get hit, you're you're done for. You know you're at least injured. You're at least you know might yep. get killed. But and a, a huge advantage of you have of that of being exposed is that you can be seen and that you can communicate. Like you know a lot of the road rage, I think it's similar to online interactions. Like you can't see what the, you, you have no context. Yeah. Typing, there's no context. So, and it's the same with somebody, you know, nowadays, a lot of cars are tinted windows, so you can't even see them anyways, but, and yeah, it kind of dehumanizes and anonymizes people a little bit. So, well, it goes right down to the, the, your, what you just uh, that was brilliant that you just brought up the tinted windows, uh, because I've noticed an increase in them too. And I, I, I guess I'm I'm saying it out loud for the first time, but I've I've always had a sense, whether it's right or wrong, I think I've always had a sense that I, I look at that, especially the really dark ones that prevent you from even seeing the silhouette of a driver. Um I read that as antisocial and aggressive. It is. And you know, I would give you a hint if you're ever in Mexico and you see an SUV or a pickup with dark tinted windows. Yeah. It is almost a guarantee that you're that, that is a somebody associated with with uh organized crime okay that is the the vehicle of the vehicle of choice and it's yes it's the tinted windows that are so dark that they reflect back yeah it's... that would be as i'm pretty sure they're illegal and even you know some states have oh oh it's it's completely others. illegal here um i know yeah. it's illegal under state law and it is absolutely not enforced not enforced yeah. at all uh, and they just keep getting darker and darker and more and more people are putting them on their cars. And you're you're right that this this it we are we are both compelled and nudged into this, but we are doing it to ourselves as well. We are cooperating with this atomization, um, even down to and I know this is going to sound a little picky and it's going to sound like a stretch to people, but hear me out. With the advent of universal air conditioning in cars, you almost never see a person driving down the road in any weather at all with their windows open. This is a complete change from my childhood. Um, now, I'm an air conditioning freak. I love the stuff because I hate the heat and I, I, I physically am very uncomfortable in heat that most people can tolerate. So I do love air conditioning. but. You know, I try to, you know, when I can, I like to ride around and feel the wind come in. I like to feel a little bit more connected to the outside world, um, but almost nobody does. And it's these conveniences and expectations that have been built into our lives, like cars, for example. Um, how old are you, Green? I mid 30s, mid 30s. OK, so I guess uh, I'm not quite not quite to the middle aged, right? Middle aged man on Lycra yet. Right. Well, I'm I'm going to be 49 in a couple of weeks. And uh, so it's I think there's just enough. We're kind of half a generation apart. Um, the. Uh, where was I going with this? The. Idea that. You are. Locked away from the world. Expectations change, right? A base yeah. model car, when I was in the car buying market, when I was a, a teenage guy, um, and back then, uh, every teenage kid, boy or girl, 
wanted their first car. All of us, every single one of us was waiting in line at the DMV on our 16th birthday. That was a rite of passage. Now, as as you know, now, uh, a great number of young people don't ever want to have a driver's license at all. So it's completely changed. Um, but a base model car, your cheapo Econobox car, your starter car, your kid car in those days came with a stick shift, manual crank windows, AM, FM radio, no tape player, no CD player. And this was before the days of, of um, Wi-Fi and, and iPods and now phones. Um, this That was your basic stuff. Everything else was an add-on. Your base model car today, the very cheapest Kia on the lot, has everything in it that that you only got on a Cadillac when I was young. You get air conditioning. Um, not only electric windows, but automatic electric windows, automatic transmission, power steering, power brakes, even on cars that don't need it. And actually, small cars don't need power steering and power brakes. They really don't. Um, but you get all of that stuff. And, and now we are all driving around in these hermetically sealed chambers. And maybe it seems a little bit small, but I think it's a bellwether. So this... Your comments here are actually where I think if a lot of the anti-car activists, if they weren't trying to be so prescriptive in their ideology and more descriptive, mm -hmm. if they weren't so, yeah, authoritarian, I think these would be these could be the kinds of points that they make about like what. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I've heard this. This is not my. This is not my dichotomy. I should write about it. I don't remember where I heard about it, but. Driving versus pointing, like in these old cars you're talking about, or in an old or in a sports car. Yep. Most sports cars, you have to actually think about what you're doing. You have to, like you saying, adjust the temperature properly, adjust your seats, adjust your mirrors, shift your gears. You have to actually shift the gears. Yeah. Um, when you're going into a corner, you actually have to think about your braking. And in reality, cycling, you do have to do a lot of this. And same with yeah. motorcycling. Yep, but uh, most cars nowadays, no. I mean, they almost drive themselves, and some of them and literally do drive themselves. Yep. Yeah, it's really is like, it really is like this very. Yeah, it, it's like you're you're on wheels. You're you're programming a cruise ship. You know, it has a yep. pre-programmed, digitally plotted uh, destination, and you're just basically pushing a few buttons to make it do it. And you know, you see this in um, aviation too. I mean, oh God, yes. You see a difference in, from what I've heard, the Middle Eastern airlines are really, 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 really big on trying to use autopilot as much as possible. Yeah, and their pilots, the therefore, have the their stick skills are not there in emergencies. Yep. Hey, the US this, airlines are the complete opposite. <laughs> absolutely. Um, this has been a great conversation. I could go on and on and on, but uh, you've been very generous with your time, Green, and I want to thank you for that. But I want you to um, tell, I want people to be interested in, in um, in what you have to say uh, the way I am, because I think it's good stuff. So tell everybody where you can be found online. Where can they read you? So there's both the principalbicycling.substack.com. That's where I kind of focus just on bicycling stuff. And then um, environmental stuff. I'm, I work in the energy industry and I'm seeing an insane amount of just eye rolling stupidity from what they're calling energy transition. And that is over at greenleapforward.substack.com. Fantastic. So, and 
that name derives from, for anybody who's familiar with uh, their history of Mao, <laughs> the Great Leap Forward. <laughs> where, you know, he, he was trying to to basically industrialize China as quickly as possible. And I remember reading about these backyard steel furnaces. Because Mao had this idea that if every Chinese person made steel in their backyard, they could make enough steel to match the industrial output of, of the U.S., the U.K., or whatever. And it was all this you know, garbage-quality steel. They deforested entire areas. They went through houses, gutting them of all the wood to burn. Like, it was just... Oh, um, all the communists to, are crazy. Complete disaster. And I got to thinking, like, that is almost what they're trying to do with, like, trying to get everybody to run their little solar panels on the roof yep. and plug in their Tesla. And, like, that is not how the grid works. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, hey, thank you for uh, thank you for cycling <laughs> through these topics with us. <laughs> well, maybe... I will, I, one more thing. I yeah. need to send, maybe I'll send you this book. There's this guy named John Forrester, and if you type in John Forrester in bicycling, okay, you're going to get this guy is like maybe he's not quite the Thomas Sowell, but he's kind of like a Thomas Sowell in the sense that well, he's not black, but you know, <laughs> Thomas Sowell is not a very well known guy, but he's a very correct guy most yes. of the time. That was this guy, and the, the, his writings about cycling, he he, he died, died a few years ago, but I mean, he ended up being like 90. But um, he is the most revered guy in the cluster bike world because they, I mean, it's just like how the woke throw Thomas Sowell under the bus every time. <laughs> but there's a chapter in this book that he talks specifically about like traffic law and the principles and what goes behind it. Mm -hmm. And I'll send it to you because I think you'll find it really interesting. Awesome. Well, hey, he kind of derives it from first principles. And I mean, these are things that if you go to quiz your traffic engineer about it, they don't know about it. Any of these people, they don't know about any of this stuff, which is surprising. Why you get what you got in Burlington. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks very much. Um, I will talk to you again. And everybody, uh, this has been disaffected. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again.